Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Fisherman's Post Saltwater Podcast Series. This episode is titled Winter Trout on Artificials. I'm going to be talking with Captain Dana Tabarini of Real to Real Fishing. Real to Real Fishing is charters and a podcast outside of the New Bern area. We're going to be talking about speed of fishing. We're going to be talking about the size of baits and lures, depths to consider, types of gear and then ultimately what to do when it doesn't seem like anything is working. My name is Gary Hurley of Fisherman's Post. Fisherman's Post has been serving the saltwater fishing community since 2003. We've been bringing you fishing reports, fishing information, fishing tournaments, fishing schools, and here in our latest and greatest effort, the Saltwater Podcast Series, where we reach out to our captain and guide friends from up and down the coast and ask them to share with us their insights, their knowledge on how to catch more fish more often and in this endeavor, I am joined every week by podcast partner, Billy Thorpe of Thorpe Creative. Billy, welcome to another podcast episode. What is going on, Gary, man? Good to good to see you. It's always good to be in the podcast chair. Super excited about Dana being on the show. He's a part of our weekly fishing reports we've been doing. And man, just a wealth of knowledge. Uh, he spends a lot of time on the water, so he knows what he's doing. <laughs> I'm excited to hear about it. Uh, and man, congratulations, Gary. This is episode 140 so 140 140 most people we each like get probably, a watch yeah we get the yeah we get the fisherman's post watch uh i'll pick up a couple on from <laughs> the, the thorpe creative watch i want the <laughs> thorpe creative watch yeah. i don't want the it sounds like i'm buying i want the thorpe creative <laughs> yeah no no no. i'll buy I'll, I'll go i'll swing by the thrift store on the way home and then we'll just like put stickers over the top it'll be good It'll be great. So yeah, so pretty exciting, man. It's pretty awesome. Every time you, you know, 150, we'll celebrate that too. But 140, I thought was pretty cool, uh, especially to end the year. You know, I know we got another special episode and, uh, and an encore coming up, but um, pretty cool, man. Pretty pretty cool adventure that we've been on. And uh, Marine Warehouse has been there for 135 of those episodes. So <laughs> just want to give. Hats on. I finally found my Marine Warehouse hat, so hats on to those guys uh, and really appreciate them. I got a quick message from them, and we'll be right back. At Marine Warehouse, we have everything for trailer, trailer parts, engines, engine parts, new boats, boat parts, a full store. We have a service department. We are your one-stop shop for marine equipment and hardware. We offer a wide variety of parts and accessories for all your marine needs. The best part about working at Marine Warehouse Center is to help customers really get the most out of their coastal lifestyle and share our love for the water. At Marine Warehouse, we're here to get you out on the water because of our love for the water. We like being out there and we want you out there with us. All right, man, there they are. There they are. Our guys, my guys. Yeah, that. man, here's my here's my notice to everyone out there. Like, I want you to love your boat in 2023. I want you to love your boat. So come up with your laundry list now of items you would like done to your boat, your service list, your wish list, and then take it into Marine Warehouse Center, and they're going to make it happen. That's what I do every winter. I mean, that's real talk, man. I make a list if the light's not working or the connection's failing. Whatever it is, I write it down. And just about this time of year, I probably I won't pull the boat till after Christmas. But after Christmas, I'm going to take it in and say, "Here you go. Here's my laundry list, Marine Warehouse Center. Looking forward to 2023." Yeah, man, excited for those guys to be a part of it. And as we've tried to been keep up, keeping up with uh, with Emmett over there at Marine Warehouse, 
He's a, he's a tough one to keep up with. So so this this week somebody actually sent us a picture of Emmett doing a pretty adventurous thing, and I got to word this correctly because I want to give you a hint so you can figure out where in the world is Emmett. And right. I will say that he the the thing that he is doing, he is using the same material that to that you use to strap luggage onto the top of your car. So if you're traveling for the holidays. You use this material to strap stuff onto the top of your car. He's using it to do something else. That's a horrible hint. He's uh, <laughs> bungee jumping. Dude, I, okay, maybe I, maybe this wasn't as wise as I thought it was. He is bungee jumping. Look at this. He's like <laughs> he's like doing a little uh, <laughs> he's doing a little cannonball. <laughs> I mean, the cord the cord looks like it's wrapping up a little weird over there on the right hand side. I don't know anything about bungee jumping, but. I, don't, I guess he's out in Kansas too. It's like pretty flat. So I think the aliens wrote a message in that field. I, I just don't know. Think we know how to read it. Yeah, there you go. There's there's Emmett with. <laughs> Good for always, Emmett. Always camera ready, man. Adventurous and always looking at the camera. Wherever this camera. Always looking. smiling, man. That guy's good. Yeah, man. So appreciate those guys sponsoring the show uh, for so long, and definitely looking forward to more shenanigans in 2023. So it'll be fun, um, man. Gary, you want to talk a little bit about our fishing membership, real quick? Oh yeah, man. I always enjoy pitching that. So again, we did weekly fishing reports from April through October, and now in the November through March section of the year that things have slowed down, fish, water, temps, all that. We are doing bi-weekly fishing reports still, so you want to know what's happening lately with the trout, striper, or other bites. But we're also doing live shows, so until we start up again, we'll be doing, we'll be mixing in live shows, talking with two, maybe three captains at a time, sharing their ideas together. <coughs> Excuse me. And you, as a member, will be able to ask questions directly to the captain. So if you've wished that you could be sitting in my chair, say right here with the podcast, and I'm just missing questions that you wish I would ask, sign up to be a member, tune into the live shows, and then you can ask the questions. Absolutely, man. And, and also, I want to remind people, too, we're doing a little bit in 2023 at the beginning, January and February. We're not going to be producing podcast episodes, so if you still want this that type of content then become a member and, and come hang out with us you know live uh, because we won't have fresh shows we got a ton of you know obviously 140 episodes plus that you can go back and listen to uh, but it might be a good time to to be a part of the membership and come hang out with us for sure during that down yeah that, that I, I hope people season. agree <laughs> i hope people agree that after 140 or so episodes we deserve a little bit of time off and then we come back refresh we'll come back better we'll come back refreshed yeah. so hit the pause button Come back strong. Absolutely. And check out those old episodes, man. There's so much good information in there. So, um, and it's, uh, and Dana's going to bring some more. But until then, I'll show you a fish picture, Gary, and I'll let you guys get on with it. We got Evan Chicoin. I don't know how to say I'm, You know, I butchered that guy's name. Sorry. With an eight pound speckled trout that was caught on a small bluefish in the Sneeds Ferry area. Uh, so, Gary, over or under? Is this thing eight pounds? What do you think? Man, that's a big trout. He doesn't appear to be holding it out ridiculous far or anything like that. And and I don't know. I'm going to give it to him, man. I'm going to give I'm it gonna, eight pounds. Yeah, I'll tell you, know, I did a little bit of research because I've never caught an eight-pound trout. Maybe eight-ounce trout. I'm up to like eight ounces maybe. <laughs> so 
Uh, I did a little research. I got on. I got on Intercoastal Anglers um, Instagram, and because you know they they post a lot of of mm-hmm. big fish catches and big trout and stuff. So I was comparing it, and I was like, yeah, you know what? I'm gonna give it to him as well. So all right, my research, we give it to him, and good for that guy for catching a huge. Good for that fish. guy. Yeah, I mean nothing all like right. what Dana showed us pre-show, but. <laughs> <laughs> Well, look, I'm going to bring Dana on. We're going to talk trout. And then at the conclusion, and this is actually a tough assignment today. At the conclusion, I'm coming back for Billy's best takeaway. And I say a tough assignment because I believe you're going to be inundated with Billy's best takeaway potentials. 100%. I'm ready, man. I'm ready. All right. So my pleasure to welcome to the podcast for the first time, Captain Danny, Dana Tabarini, Real to Real Fishing. Real to Real Fishing is both charters and podcast operating out of New Bern. Dana, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Looking forward to talking trout with you. Yes, sir. Thank you guys for having me, Billy Gary. Uh, we have a lot of fun off camera, so this should be interesting now that it's on camera. <laughs> oh, yeah. This is going to, like I said, I'm going to ask you a couple of setup questions. I'm going to go eat a couple of tacos and come back and, and wrap the show up. But. <laughs> Before we get to that, I don't care who you are, two questions before we begin the main event. You tell me you're ready, I give you question number one. Go for it. Question number one, Dana Tabarini, why should I, why should Billy, why should anyone out there listen to anything you have to say about a trap? That's a pretty good question. Um, My normal answer would be you probably shouldn't. Uh, You should probably go out and try stuff on your own. Um, but no, the, I've been a charter captain. It's my third year chartering. Um, I've fished my entire life. Uh, grew up here in New Bern, um, fished everywhere from, you know, up in Cool Springs area all the way down to Pamlico Point areas in and around Noose. So um, I've put, as we like to say, I've put some time on the water and uh, put some patterns together. And I feel like uh, when you get on my boat, you've got just as good an opportunity to catch fish as with any other captain. So, um, and I can cater to small kids all the way up to 70, 80 year old men. And, you know, it's, it's a good time. Absolutely an acceptable answer. We are moving on to question number two and question number two, as tradition goes, is a non fishing related question. Again, you tell me you're ready. I give you question number two. I think I'm ready. Question number two is about a trout, but it's about Mike Trout. And with you dropping Billy Madison and FedEx trivia on us in pre-show, I'm actually feeling like you're going to be able to answer a Mike Trout question or two. Question number one about Mike Trout in his rookie year when when he was on second base in the middle of the game, what baseball player did he ask for an autograph? Oh, my God. I know this answer, too. They were... They were playing at home, I think. I used to have season tickets to the Anaheim Angels, so now I feel really bad. I don't know. Who did he ask? He asked Derek Jeter. He was starstruck I, as a rookie. God. Oh, I knew it. By, I knew it. I was, I was thinking it was a Yankee. Well, look, I got another question. Since you feel like you should have known that one, I got one more for you. Which of these statements is true? Mike Trout has never won a playoff game. Mike Trout pitched a no-hitter in high school. Uh, Mike Trout's never won a playoff game. And he's ne- and he pitched a no-hitter. I gave you a trick question. They're both true. But uh, I think people are ready for us to talk about the other trout. Um, 
And so again, this is your podcast. I got the notes and the notes that said talking about the speed of fishing here because we're talking about winter trout. So if, if that's where you still feel like we should talk, then talk to me about the speed of fishing. Sure. Um, obviously, it's uh, mid-December right now. So the transition to really what I consider wintertime fishing hasn't really occurred yet. The water has cooled off down to, you know, the low to mid fifties. Um, but it only takes a day like today where it got to 70 degrees and water temp climbed up 57, 58 degrees. Um, but typically what we'll be referring to will be once it gets to that sub 50 degree. And what I've noticed with people on the boat and having all kinds of different anglers on the boat, whether they're seasoned um, or whether they are seasoned and, and are refusing to learn a different way. Um, I've watched a lot of guys just miss a lot of bites mostly because of two things. Um, when I say speed of fishing relative to conditions, I'm talking about the, the water temperature. And a lot of times I'll see people just fish way too fast. Uh, and I'm, when I say way too fast, I mean way, way too fast. Um, typically I'm fishing some really deep water um, with respect to trout. And we're talking 12 feet and deeper. And I'm using some things as light as, you know, three-eighths of an ounce or three-sixteenths of an ounce, depending on how deep I'm going. But um, I want to get that lure way down to the bottom, and I want to pop it up off bottom and just kind of let it fall at its own pace really, really, really slow. Um, and one of the things I believe in is that the trout are deciding whether or not it's worth the energy to expend to eat that meal. Um, I think they have to carefully weigh, if, am I going to chase this? If I chase this, I've got to expend a bunch of energy. And if I got to expend a bunch of energy, I've got to replace it with protein or some kind of food. And when it's really cold, that's really hard to do. So one definite thing um, I would recommend, whether you're fishing hard baits, soft plastics, um, swim baits, no matter what it is, um, you really want to slow, slow, slow down. Um, you can vary that once the water temperature goes up with certain days. Like today, we could fish it a little quicker. Um, water temp got up to 54, 55, really, really fast. So we were able to fish a little faster and incite the bite. But I, I'm going to say in general, when you get past mid-December, you get into January, February, when it's 30 degrees outside and there's ice on your guides from the water freezing, um, you really, really, really want to slow down and let that bait just be in that fish's face as long as possible. So that's what I mean by speed of fishing. So I guess my question would be, you know, if I'm trying to visualize slowing everything down, are when you're popping the bait off the bottom, is that a mm -hmm. slow pop as well? And then if you're popping and just letting it naturally fall, whether it's a quick pop or a, a slower pop, are you retrieving or are you really not moving the bait towards the boat that much? So the, the best way to answer that is number one, people don't allow the bait to get all the way to the bottom. Um, that's the number one mistake, um, whether they're fishing too light of a jig head or they're just not familiar with, or they don't have the right equipment to feel how sensitive it is when something like that gets all the way to the bottom, way, way, way down. Um, the pop-off bottom is, that can be kind of quick. Um, I think what I mean by speed is that you just, you need to let it really, 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 really get to the bottom. I mean, just hit the bottom. And you need to feel that tick when it gets to the bottom. And when you pop it off bottom, 
you want to keep in contact with the lure. Uh, I've watched some guys on YouTube videos talk about having slack in the line so the fish can do this and do that. If they're slack in the line, that fish will never see you, so or you'll never feel it. You'll absolutely never feel it. And a speckled trout will devour that lure and spit it right back out before you even have a chance to set the hook if you're not in contact with it. So the pop is fast. Now, you know, now that you've asked that question, I, I can see exactly what you're talking about in my head. Um, the pop is fast, but the fall is slow. You know, you're, a lot of times people will pop too soon, and they're not back in the strike zone where that fish is. So, yeah, great question, Gary. Awesome question. And are, and I guess the other part, are, are you worried much about retrieving it? Or are you worried much about covering water on the way back to the boat? Or are you imagining, I'm not really trying to move it too much. I'm I'm hoping a trout sees it and moves to it. Gotcha. So if you think about just, I guess, geometry, you've got your rod here and the line goes out to where you've cast because you've cast probably a decent amount of way away from the boat. I'm never really vertical jigging right below the boat. Not that you can't do that. You can, especially areas around structure like bridges and overpasses, train trestles, stuff like that. If you've got relatively deep water, you can vertically jig for them. But this is more referring to, say, you're in the back of a creek and you've got, you know, you're in eight foot of water and you've got a 14, 15 foot hole. I'm casting over into that hole and working it back towards me and I'm popping it off bottom. It's naturally going to come back towards you. But I want that fall to be as natural as possible. I don't I don't want to interrupt that fall going down. Okay, man, I follow good. Next in my notes is size of bait, size of the lure. Gotcha. So. <clears throat> there's a phrase that we've I've heard my whole life and it's elephants eat peanuts. Um, I know there is a big, big hype about large baits, large fish, big fish like big baits, big fish like this, big fish like that. My, my own experience this time of year, again, you have to think what is the fish actually doing? The fish is trying to survive for the next two months until it warms up again. And again, this goes back to vulnerable prey, um, baits that are relatively easy to just kind of suck right in and, and devour it and be done. Um, it's not gonna wanna chase something you know, away from it. So like a swim bait that's being pulled too fast, um, if the swim bait's five, six inches, it, it, it may not, it may just say that, that's not worth my time. Um, that doesn't mean you can't catch fish on big lures because you'll have a million people say, well, I catch them on this, I catch them on that. I'm, I'm sure you do. But what I've seen is this time of year, um, I like to downsize. When I say downsize, I know you guys at home can't see this, but this is a slick lure. And the slick lure is probably five inches long, four, four and a half, somewhere in there. They have their own version of a slick junior or a baby slick, whichever one they want to call it. And it's down to about three inches. And both of them have a ball tail on the end of the tail. And I use a jig head of blue water candy jig heads and they help that bait kind of stand up on end. Um, when I downsize, I want the smaller version of the bait. Um, I want to be able to sneak in those areas and have something that's an easy meal for it to swallow. Uh, and one of the reasons that I really like that, besides the fact that I believe 100% that they are trying to just survive over the winter and it's an easy meal, is that that jig fits in that fish's mouth real easy. And when you feel that slight little thump and you set the hook 
most of the time that jig head goes right into the roof of the mouth of the trout and it does not get pulled out. And what I've also noticed is mirror lures, you know, it's amazing how you have six hooks on this thing and a lot of times they can spit it right back out without it ever being hooked. They typically don't spit this back out right away. Um, they feel like they've succeeded in grabbing an easy meal and that gives you a better opportunity for a hook set. So what I like to do is I like to downsize. I've got a couple of that, you know, options here you guys can see on video if you can't see it on video. Um, just imagine it looks like a stick. It looks like a pinched off turd, I guess is the best way to put it. Like cat poop. I don't know. <laughs> That's the first thing that comes to mind. But um, I like a natural looking color for these stick baits. And then for if I am fishing a larger bait, if it's a warmer day and they're a lot more active, I like some really, really bright, bright colors. So, um, but I really prefer to use those smaller baits in the wintertime. I've even gone as far as, you know, and I know um, some of my friends, some of the captains down here, Kevin Doerr, Ashley King, um, ben Ricks, those guys do the same thing. You can take a crappy jig with a really, really small crappy lure and catch these speckled trout almost in the same place as you're catching crappy. So, so I guess I have a couple of questions, man. In the in the and we're talking winter time. I think you said 50, 50 degree mark. Are you have you moved completely away from hard baits and it's a soft plastic game? Um, I always tell the fish or let the fish tell me what to do. Um, we've had, we, like today I started with the little John, which is the stick bait. That's your little soft plastic. And as the sun came up and it water, it warmed the water up more and more and more, those fish left a deep channel and started working up on a flat. When they got up on that flat, I switched over to the mirror lure. But again, it's a 17, 17 MR and not a 27. So it's not a really large one. Um, I like the soft dine version as well, but I think you have to follow where the fish are going. They're going to be in those deep holes at night. They're going to move up to feed and you just kind of follow where they're going and let them react to the bait. If you're in three, four foot of water, five foot of water, and they've slid up on that shelf, switch over to something like a, a hard bait and see if it changes the, changes the result. And you said with color, it's, I mean, you said natural colors, but it looks like you're a fan of chartreuse as well. Yeah, so I like the natural colors on the stick bait, and, I, you know, I'd love to have a million reasons why, but it just so happens that I can take this color in any water and fish it, whether it's dirty, clean, it doesn't matter. And, and maybe it's because it's a confidence thing, but um, I have more golden brim little johns in my boat than I have any other lure. And I, I feel like as natural as it is and as easy as it is to work, it, it could be a confidence thing, but the fish tend to react a lot better. Um, I like bright colors and clean water. A lot of people think differently. I'm okay with that. Um, when I say bright colors, this is a hot olive 17 MR. It's got an orange bottom, yellow or chartreuse side and green top. It's a matte finish. It's not very shiny. It doesn't have broken glass look or anything. Um, and of course I always like to, you know, dress it up with my own troubles, dress troubles or whatever. But, um, but I really like those bright colors in, in clean water and in this like this year right now we have a very low amount of rainfall so you got a very clean water environment um, you can actually see those fish in three four five foot of water hitting your mirror lure from 30 40 feet away relatively easy and it, it's, it's really exciting but again 
my experience, love catching these on these bright colors on the hard baits and on the soft baits. I do like to stay natural with the smaller ones. Again, there's always the, you know, there's always the exception. Um, I haven't caught a whole lot of fish on that, but I'm also not very comfortable with the slick bait as I some of my friends are. So I'm forcing myself to fish with it. This okay. one got the eyes beat out of it today. So, Well, let me see, man. Next on the list is depth to consider. You've already been touching on depths, but let's fine tune that conversation. So a lot of times, let's say when I started this morning, um, I had two guys on the boat. Um, they're both avid fishermen. Um, one really likes swim baits. One really likes everything, kind of like me. Um, we're easing down this channel and I'm marking fish all through the channel. Channels maybe 15 to 18 feet deep. Um, some spots are even 20 feet. And over to one side is a big long flat that goes maybe from 20 feet up to about seven feet and then three feet. And I see these fish on bottom. It's the sun hasn't come up yet. Um, as a matter of fact, the the Garmin has any and up on this flat and just put the poles down. And I said, let's fish in this direction because those fish are going to move out of that channel up onto this flat. And sure enough, as the sun started coming up, we're fishing jigs on bottom, working it off that channel and working it up on that flat. And it was just pretty much like clockwork. So if it's super cold at night or even cool, uh, you know, I, I'm going to, I'm going to, Stick to those deep holes and I'm going to be on a flat next to it so I can work either the deep hole or the flat depending on where they move and again not every situation is like that um, but that's when I say depth to consider relative to conditions if it's warm out I want to be on that flat if it's cold out I want to be in that deep hole fishing towards that flat as the sun comes up and heats the water up so when you're talking deeper channel and when you're talking shallower flat what kind of depth are we basically talking? I'm sure it changes a little bit depending on which which channel, which flat, but in general, how right. about some numbers? So general, I'm gonna say channels, I, I'm gonna consider a channel or a deep hole 10 foot or better. I'm gonna consider a secondary ledge, maybe five foot to 10 foot, and then your primary or your flat being, you know, two, three, four, five feet. Um, and again, I always like to be next to a deep water some, some, even if it's a bend in a creek that happens to be 15 feet deep, that bend usually has a flat associated with it somewhere. Um, and I like to set myself up where I can exploit both of those, the deep side as well as the shallow side. All right. What, uh, I mean, I don't know if I have any more follow-up questions for depths to consider. I mean, I, I've understood everything you said. Is, is there anything else you had in your mind you might talk about in that category? As far as depth, um, the one thing, and this is going to be true for every category we talk about, a trout will do what it wants to do and prove you wrong. So you'll fish on a 70 degree day and they'll be down in the bottom at 19 feet for some reason. On um, the next day, it'll be 40 degrees out and they're not on the flat or they're not in the hole, they're on the flat. So that has to do with the water temperature of where they are. It has to do with salinity. It has to do with a whole lot of factors, but th there's no way to put all those factors together and say it's one thing why they bit or they didn't. You've just got to literally just try, just fish that deep hole. If they're not there, 
move up that secondary ledge, fish five to seven feet, move up to the flat and, and try that. Um, it's Electronics are your friend. They're going to show you where the fish are, but getting them to react, that's a whole different story. And that, that's, that's kind of why we're even talking about this. So I, I'm, I'm going to throw in all three places to figure out where they are. Okay. Well, man, if you're talking about electronics, maybe I take that as the segue to talking about gear. I mean, I'm, gear is pretty an expansive sure. topic, but let, let's see where you go. Yeah, there, there's a ton of things when I, when we talk about gear, the, the number one thing that, thing that comes to my head is it has less to do with electronics and it has to do with the rod and reel setup that you're using. Um, for speckled trout, you want to feel that bite and be like, as, like I've said, they will spit that lure right back in your face um, and, and just keep moving. Um, so I'm going to use from a boat, I'm going to use anywhere from six, six to seven feet. And I want a medium light with a fast tip for some of these smaller baits um, and as well as your mirror lures. Now, if I go to a larger profile, if I'm throwing a 27 MR, which is your next biggest size, or if I'm throwing, let's say, um, like this K Wiggler's um, ball tail shad, which is a little bit larger, or a soft dine, which is Mirlor's soft version of their, their hard bait, um, I want a moderate action on that rod because I feel like the, the hook set's a little better. Um, Spencer Riggs and Toby Burton from down at Chasing Tails talk about it all the time. And I noticed better hook sets when I changed up and went to um, a medium rod with a moderate tip for larger, larger profile baits. Um, but in the winter time, I really want that sensitivity with that fast tip and with that medium light action. Um, most speckled trout you're going to catch anywhere from your dink size up to four, five, six pounds, seven pounds. You're not really going to have much of an issue um, getting that fish to the boat. Um, I do like to fish a lot of braid. I fish. Um, Power Pro, you can pick whatever brand you want. That doesn't matter. Um, I stick around 10 pounds. There's guys who like 15 pounds. There's guys who have 8 pounds. Um, find what's comfortable for you. But I do recommend braided line. Um, and I recommend using some kind of leader anywhere from 10 pounds to 20 pounds um, in the wintertime. And I usually use about a 14 to 18 foot section. I don't use three foot of leader because that has to pass through those eyes and that wears that knot down where you connect the leader to the line. So um, fluorocarbon, mono, whatever you like. I, I think there's enough people who say you have to have A, B, or C. Pick what works for you. If you have a budget and you need to go pick up a 100-yard spool of 15-pound monofilament, then go use that. Just give yourself that, that advantage over um, just braid to your lure. The advantage that you get is you can tie the retie the lures relatively easy without having to lose you know lose all the yardage on your braid. Um, you get a little bit better kind of elasticity where when that fish hits, it's not going to just snap your line. You know, it's it's going to give you a little bit of stretch to it. Um, and if you do get hooked on bottom, you know, it's a lot easier to break off monofilament than it is braid. So, and I use any of the colors, so it doesn't matter uh, high vis. Um, green, red, but pick whichever one looks the best on your rod and go with that. Um, I don't really feel, I don't feel like these fish really care. I know a lot of people say the fish can see it, but I've caught eight pound trout trolling a lure that was meant for a Spanish mackerel. So, and no reason it should have hit it, but it did. So.
All right, man, as I normally do, I have some questions. First up, um, why do you like braid on the reel and over monofilament? So your monofilament's gonna have a lot of memory. Um, you'll get, you don't get to cast as far. Um, I do like to stay off of the fish. Um, as much as I say, I don't think that line bothers them. I do think they feel the pressure of that boat coming towards them. Um, I know for a fact, I've talked to some friends who have put um, a transducer in a bucket and turned it on with water in it and you could hear the, the ping from the transducer. So there is something going on that those fish can hear. So I wanna stay off the fish and I need braided line to get the longest cast I can possibly get. That's why I choose 10 pound braid. That's why I put that leader on the front. I can get a really, really long cast and work it um, in an area where I know those trout are, where I feel like those trout are, and I can stay off of them and not pressure them as much. What's your favorite knot for tying leader to braid? I stick with a double uni. Um, there's a lot of them out there, Alberta knots. Um, there's FG knots, there, whichever one. I try to do the one that I imagine I'm sitting out, pulled down, it's blowing 20 miles an hour, um and my client at 6 30 in the morning has just broke off his first leader so i've got to retie really quick what knot can i do i can do a double uni in my sleep so that's what i use what knot do you use to tie the lure the jig head to the leader is it a is it a loop knot or is it cinched so neither <laughs> that's going to be a wild one i'm glad you asked that i actually use crankbait snaps um, they're either VMC or Eagle Claw. Um, they're size two, so they're 50 pounds, and it allows me to change the lures out relatively quickly. Um, I do cinch that down with a uni knot, but the actual clasp itself um, allows for freedom of movement for that lure. I have yet to lose a fish because of it. Um, somebody said too much hardware is a bad thing. Um, the fish can see it. I said, well, I guess they missed the treble hooks hanging there and just went saw the clip and went oh crap i can't bite that so um but i've never lost a fish because of it if i've lost a fish um it's usually for another reason now i'm very mindful of the fact that that is a very pliable piece of metal and after you know a full day of opening and closing those clasps um i'll check it if it feels a little weak cut it off add another one you can get them at academy they're 99 cents for a pack of 10 so all right well Next in the notes is what to do when the fish aren't cooperating, but I'm not there yet. I'm not ready to ask that question because I still want to hear more okay. from Dana Tabarini for when things are at least promising to work out or are working out. Okay. So as you know from weekly reports, man, probably the biggest question people have is where, where to fish, where to fish. I mean, you know, what to throw and how to throw it, sure, but also where to fish. So like, I guess my question would be either like, walk me through this morning like you've already talked about being up on the flat and covering the channel but how do you how do you cover water enough to know like all right they're not here let's try some different water how do you know to try out on the flat and you could approach this two different ways i guess like was sort of walk me through the thinking on the boat either this morning or on a recent trip or you know something else i'm curious about like if i plucked you out of newburn and plucked you into creeks either down in ocean isle or in southport how would you go about trying to figure that creek out? I would call a local captain first. <laughs> That'd be number one. Um, one thing in New Bern and the Noose River Basin here, especially upper of the ferry line up here from 
Well, even out towards um, South River, um, Dawson's Creek, Oriental, all those areas, we the Pamlico Sound in general, we don't really have a tide here. We have a wind a wind blown tide. So that means that the water level changes mostly from the direction of the wind. Um, the Noose River is shaped from its head. It goes southeast and then it flows out to um, northeast. So the section from New Bern to the Ferry Channel blows literally from a northwest wind will blow water out and make the level of the river low. If you get a northeast wind, then it blows water in. Also, any real easterly wind kind of blows water in. So the biggest thing I look at when I'm looking at weather is it's not even how much wind is blowing, is in what direction is the wind blowing from. And if it's blowing from anything northwest to northeast, um, you're going to have a colder day. You're going to have um, cooler temperatures. If it's blowing from anywhere in the other spectrum in the south, southeast, southwest, um, you're going to have a little bit of a warmer day. And then with those, I'm going to then look at, is it blowing southwest and blowing water out? Is it blowing northwest, blowing water out? Again, westerly winds pushes water out, easterly winds tend to help push water in. So I'm going to look at all that, and then I'm going to decide, all right, based on my notes, which I have notes um, from the past years of fishing, and it's monthly, January, February, March, blam, 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 all the way down to December, where were these fish last year, and what were the conditions I was catching fish? The biggest problem is no one wants to put the time in, not on the water, but off the water, into recording when they had a good day, what was the conditions of that day? When they've had a bad day, what was the conditions of that day? And even worse, when you had a bad day and your buddy had a great day, what were the conditions where he was fishing? So, you know, a lot of times you'll hear time on the water is what will tell you. Time spent off the water and what you take notes on and what you write down and what you remember, that's going to help you just as much as the times you're spending on the water itself um, because that's going to help you decide where you're going in the future so fished sunday and sunday was a really windy day out of the northwest um, we just had got off a front that moved through on saturday so it's post frontal conditions high pressure pressure is increasing fish are tight to the bottom and when i say tight to the bottom i mean like literally on bottom, probably bellies in the mud. Um, rockfish or striped bass were really active all over the place. We could catch stripers, but the trout that were underneath them just would not bite. And we managed a, a few, but nothing like it should have been based on what my electronics were telling me. And my electronics were telling me, I've got fish up here, I've got bait in the middle, and then fish on the bottom. But for whatever reason, the fish on the bottom were not acting like the fish on the top. Fish on the top were the rockfish, fish on the bottom were the striped bass. So I took that information from Sunday, and I knew that the area that I fished on Sunday held trout. There were trout there. Today was a warming trend, and they're going to move up from that channel and feed on the flat um, for several reasons. Number one, there's bait present. Number two, it's a full moon cycle, and it was cloudy last night. So they didn't have the visible light shining down in the water, making it easier for them to detect or prey and, and eat all night. Um, there are, most guys will tell you on a full moon cycle, they hate to fish. They'll say, I, you know, I ain't fishing on no full moon. Well, depending on the conditions, it could help you. 
Um, I think that they really, really feed well on these cycles. And especially if you have an overcast night, man, it's going to, it was lights out. So I took all of that data, every bit of that data point, and I put it all together and I went, I'm going to fish here. And I'm going to start in this method. And I'm going to make sure that that first hour to two hours in the morning when they should be feeding, that I'm going to be in the right spot based on all the information that I've put together before. And does it work every time? Absolutely not. But it has a higher percentage chance. And that's all you're really doing. It's not, that, it's not some magical solution where if I throw electric chicken into the wind with this current on this tide, on this, that magically a fish appears. No, it's putting all that stuff together and then saying, I think I have the best chance of catching a fish doing it like this. Um, and when it works out, great. When it doesn't work out, adjust. Maybe go to a different color or maybe speed your retrieval up or slow down or whatever you have to adjust. Um, but that, that's how you're going to put all that information together. And it varies every single day. It, no days are the same. Um, you take all the data that you have and you go, what's the day that mostly looked like this? And I'm going to go fish there. So. And uh, so with the wind, are you usually fishing against the shore that the wind's blowing on or the wind's blown away from? I mean, am, or am I oversimplifying? Uh, no, that's not oversimplifying. Uh, in, in drum fishing, I will say I love a windblown bank. I've talked about that all summer long. Um, I'm sure those uh, fishing reports got a little mundane, but, um, but it was just spitting the truth out every week. When it comes to speckled trout, um, I'm going to do it whichever way works. So I've had situations where I need to cast into the wind because the way that the bait is working back um, – if I'm throwing with, if it's super windy and I'm throwing with the wind, that bait might stay up in the column too much because the wind is pulling that line and keeping that bait up. Whereas if I'm throwing into the wind, maybe the current's moving towards me, which is a more natural direction for the bait to be moving, and that'll instigate a bite. So uh, the answer is whichever way the fish likes it. And I know that that doesn't really help people that much, but you've got to throw both directions to see what presentation style they like it. Um, I've fished into the wind before um, in a creek recently with Addison Grantham, um, Unreal Addison, and in that direction against the wind, the fish did not bite. We literally turned around, fished right back out the direction we came, and with the wind, the fish bit. So no clue why, because the current was moving against us the whole time, but they bit moving against the current which was against everything I'd ever believed about trout fishing, but proved me wrong. So. All right. I got, I got a couple more for, for winter trout fishing. How much time do you invest in a spot before you think to yourself, let's try something else? Uh, two answers. Number one, without electronics, um, you're going to, you're going to be at a disadvantage because you can't see where they are. Um, you're probably going to spend a lot more time on historical data um, which I think a lot of people do. I think they go, you know what? Last year I caught fish right here. I'm just going to fish here all day. Um, that doesn't mean that it's wrong. Uh, that just means that that's what you're comfortable with. And for me, I like to think outside the box and I like to just kind of explore, um, especially when I'm not on a charter. Um, but I think you can spend too much time in one place. 
Um, I don't know if it's you need to switch up a bait and do something different. A lot of times that'll matter. Um, again, changing those contours of fishing deep, medium, and shallow, that's really, really what's going to make the difference. Um, if you catch a fish in an area, there are more than one fish there. Um, if you don't get a bump and you've moved 100 yards down a bank and you feel like there should be fish there, um, try throwing in the opposite direction from where you just came or try a different color before you leave. Um, I wouldn't put a time limit on it because um, I'm using all kinds of factors to determine how long I'm going to sit in a different place. Um, this morning we sat where we started for maybe an hour and a half, maybe two hours, um, and we moved. The bite did taper off slightly, but honestly we moved because we had our limit by then and we just wanted to go explore and see if we could find a larger fish. So then I went to areas that have produced larger fish for me and a couple of spots, you know, gave us fish and, and a couple of didn't. So, um, but I, I'm not going to say there's too much time you can spend in a spot. I know some trophy anglers who will go sit on a certain spot for six, eight hours looking for one single bite. So if you're looking to fill the box, I might would move on quickly. If you're in a place where you know that it produces large speckled trout, I would probably stay there. So, okay. So um, now my, and this might be my last question before we go to your last talking point, but I'm guessing that most of this winter fishing for trout in your area we're talking about is up in the creeks and not out in the main Noose River. And if that is so, around what time do you exclusively float, focus on creeks and about what time? Do you stop, focus on creeks, and pull out into bigger water? Um, so it, for people who are not familiar with the Noose River Basin, and especially the Upper Noose um, and the creeks that are involved in it, these creeks are cut way deep, and they go way back, almost to the point where um, you can't turn your boat around. You have to back out to a certain spot so you can finally get your boat flipped around in the creek. Um, and these creeks have some really deep spots, lots of structure, lots of stumps, lots of everything. Um, and your pogies have pushed way, way back in these creeks. Um, there are times when I can hear them hitting the bottom of the boat. There's so many pogies. Um, I'm going to fish those areas until the speckled trout start showing up in different areas of the creek. So, you know, um, Starting in December, I'm usually midway of the creek towards the back, um, checking out where they are. Come January, February, I typically stay in the backs of the creeks. Um, March, I really start looking for them to start pressing out. So maybe um, when I go into these creeks that I, I've been catching fish on uh, or catching fish in, and uh, I go in there one day and I'm in this one area that I know I caught fish last week there and they should not be gone yet. I'm not catching any fish and the conditions are right. I might fish a little bit out back to where I started and see if they've moved. Um, I got on a pretty good school in a creek last year, starting in late February into March. It was right back, right after I got back from Texas. And I followed those all the way out till April, almost May. And it was just following the same school of fish all the way out. And I ran several trips on that, you know, we say it's the same school. Obviously, it could be multiple schools, but, you know, I, the pattern was they're exiting, but they're not exiting in a hurry. They're just kind of moving up through the creek until they get towards the mouth, and then when it's time to go, they leave. So, 
All right. Man, uh, I like your last talking point here. I think it's intuitive because I think every angler can identify what you can do when the trout just aren't cooperating. All right. Solve well, the riddle. The really good. The really good option is to go home and hang out with your wife or your husband. That's always a good one. Uh, that's what my wife would tell me. Well, just go home. They're, they're not biting. Come home. Um, but no, I, I'm going to I'm going to do something just way different. And when we talk about making big swings, I mean, I may go to the whole other side of the river. I may leave an area where I feel like they should be and just go to a different creek on the other side of the river and just go try over there. Um, I may go out into the main river itself into some deep spots and just kind of look on electronics and see if there's bait and fish there. Um, I might pull some, you know, deep diver type lures out and start trolling those in, in deep water and see if, see if that'll produce a fish. Um, anything that, it, you know, typically you go in water temps, 50 degrees, you know, the fish should be here on this flat. There's plenty of bait. They're not biting. I'm throwing this mirror lure. I've thrown it for three hours and I'm irritated and they're not biting. You really have to do something different. You can't just keep doing that. You've got to do something different. So throw a popping cork, um, throw a top water bait. You would be surprised if that fish has moved up on a flat and that fish is large enough and mean enough. It doesn't care that it's 50 degrees. It will hit that top water lure. Um, size down, size up, change colors. Um, really just kind of throw the whole kitchen sink at the kitchen sink at the fish. But the, the number one thing I think that people do wrong is that they fish too fast. You just need to slow down. And when I say slow down, don't come in on a bank and power fish it for 15 minutes and go, well, I didn't get a bite. The fish aren't here. You know, if, if you're, if you're not used to being, well, number one, go find a comfort bait and throw that the whole day take a bait that you're comfortable with throw that and if it doesn't produce you might not be around fish but I, you really just got to just take a big swing go somewhere else um, pick a different creek um, pick a different lure um, throw some live bait if you need to get some mud minnows do something that'll incite that bite to just kind of change your mindset because i believe that the anxiety that you feel goes through the line to that bait and that bait's just not working how it should work because you're so anxious about wanting to catch a fish that it, you'll never work that bait properly so that the biggest thing is to just throw something different throw something you've never thrown before grab a lure that you're not comfortable with and and teach yourself how to fish it um, it's one of the things i did when i started fishing these little johns um, i forced myself to fish it and once it really started producing and I saw the benefits from it, um, it's now my go-to. And I feel like I can get on any boat in any condition and go catch a fish with it. Um, man, uh, this is basically when I do the old, hey, we're at the end of the podcast. Is there anything that, you know, you might have thought we would touch on, but I didn't set you up with a question or we just sort of missed it or got around to it? Um, I do have a, a couple more questions, but let me give you that one. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I guess um, one of the no, questions I think, that I have, and I have this pretty standard when I'm talking to guys like you, when you have so many different people on your boat of different abilities, and I think you've hit on, I mean, it seems like you hit on the main mistake that people make. The main mistake is fishing too fast. Slow it down, fish too fast. And it got me thinking about what are the other like main mistakes you see people make that you have to sort of guide them away from? And then I was also just wondering about like how you advise people to be successful like the hook set when we're dealing with 
colder trout that might not really be smacking it? So uh, we, we use this phrase a lot, hook sets are free. Um, there's no shame in setting the hook on something that you think might be a bite. Um, the trout bite in the wintertime is going to be really, really subtle. Um, and again, it's going to be subtle till it isn't, but typically it's really subtle. And I, I'm going to say the, the rod setup is going to be, it's going to really help and benefit you in setting that hook a lot better. Um, again, that medium light rod with that fast tip for your smaller, you know, stick baits and your, your smaller hard plastics. And then um, that moderate for those large, large baits. If you're throwing 27 MRs, if you're throwing soft dine XLs or even big like fat boy corkies or something like that, um, really pay attention to what kind of rod you're using. Um, I don't think there's a wrong way to set the hook. Um, we had a guy on the boat, Ben, uh, ben from Cash and Rods, and he sets the hook like, you know, like a, a bass pro. That's what he grew up doing. So, I mean, he's got the hip thrust and the twist on the knee and everything. I was like, wow, look, that's pretty, that's a pretty professional hook set there. Um, but it was, it was very, um, very productive and very efficient. And I think the timing of setting that hook from how you feel it to the point where you set it, that's just something you got to work on. But the number one thing you can do is put the right equipment in your hand so that you can feel the bite. If you can feel the bite, you can react to the bite. If you don't feel the bite, then it's a moot point anyway. Um, this might be my last question. Any, and when I'm, if I'm on your boat winter trout fishing, is there bycatch other than stripers? Are you hooking anything else? Are, and even are you hooking oh, yeah. stripers? Are they cohabitating? Yeah, they, uh, a lot of these fish um, cohabitate. Uh, most of your inshore species cohabitate. And even more so, um, you'll get them cohabitating with, uh, I think I used that word too much right then. Um, you'll get them intermingled with pickerel, um, largemouth bass, white perch. Um, there is a very large number of species in the Noose River in and around Newburn that you'll find them intermixed. Um, especially right now with this high salinity environment, um, meeting that fresh water coming down from the head of, you know, the Noose River where it starts. Um, so you'll, you'll catch catfish, you'll catch flounder. Um, I've caught a bunch of flounder recently, especially using these soft plastics and bouncing them off bottom. Um, drum, still catching redfish. Um, there are always resident fish. You know, we have these migratory species that everybody thinks the trout have just left. Um, I remember, uh, June of 2018, pulling out on a point, um, trying to catch a topwater striper in July and caught like four 16 inch trout back to back. I'm like, what are you doing here right now? There's resident fish everywhere. So, um, there's all kinds of fish that you can catch in the noose. It's not just speckled trout. Obviously speckled trout's the kind of the queen of the dance, um, this time of year. Uh, I think there's lots of reasons for that. It's the only fish you can keep where you can actually take four of them home instead of just one so or zero. So um, that's obviously putting a lot of pressure on these fish. But um, again, if you can catch a drone that's over 18, take one of them home, that's awesome too. But they're, they're, they're around. They're definitely there. All right. Now I'm at my last question. Tell me a little bit more about your podcast or tell our audience a little bit more about your podcast and how they can watch and or how they can listen. Tim Fork. It's uh it's on Spotify and Apple and it's real to real fishing and it's a group of four of us who um when I originally started the podcast it was gonna be, you know, I'm gonna have a bunch of guests and do this and do that. 
And it really just kind of evolved into um, four dudes sitting around talking about fishing. Um, it's myself, Ashley King, Kevin Doerr, and Ben Ricks. Um, you guys who follow any of it know who they are. Um, Rich Brothers Outdoors, Keep Casting Charters, and 3D Charters, and then myself. Um, and I always feel like things are more successful when you do it with friends. Um, you know, trying to do it, if I tried to do it on my own and make it all about me, I, I, that's just not who I am. I, I like to see my friends succeed. I like to see them come alongside and, and just kind of help me through this process. And, um, and really, there's a lot of good stories to be told. Um, otherwise, you just hear me talking about Little John's and, you know, fish in deep water. Um, so um, everybody has great ideas. We all bounce them off each other. We kind of talk trash to one another. Um, it, it's a really good time. So um, you can go on Spotify or Apple, and it's under Real to Real Fishing. Um, it's obviously not as fancy as the Fisherman Post podcast, but, you know, we, we try to hold our own once in a while. Captain Dana Tavarini, Real to Real Fishing. It's been a pleasure, you know, to have you on the podcast, talk with you regular on our weekly, bi-weekly reports, but it's been a treat just to have you with an extended conversation. Thank you for making yourself available. I'm getting ready to say goodbye and hear what Billy has to say about Billy's best takeaway. What's what's your thought? What's Billy's best takeaway going to be? Uh, I think he's going to talk about um, – it's going to be one of two things, depth or size of lure. He's going to talk about why he never really thought about really going down to a really small bait, or he's going to talk about um, not thinking about moving up to a flat. He may actually. Man, I'm laughing because he doesn't think about any of that stuff, man. No. That kid doesn't no. think of throw <laughs> a bait. He doesn't go fishing. He was not a thought in his he's, brain, man. Well, Dana Tabarini, ladies and gentlemen, why. last guest of the year. <laughs> and last time he's a guest, all in one episode. This is so great. I gave him credit. I gave him credit. I, uh, I know. He should be saying goodbye it. to me. You didn't. You did yeah, nothing. Yeah. I was the one that took the slam. Oh, my Dana, hard thank you again, full. man. I'm going to sign off with Billy. <laughs> All right, brother. Uh, <laughs> oh man, my sorry, Dana. My hard drive just filled up. We just lost <laughs> this episode. <I'm> just, <laughs> actually, I got a note, a page of notes, rather. I got a few notes, and uh, and I thought he was going to hit on this when you asked him that question because I was thinking about the depth of because he he did say number one mistake a couple of times, but you guys were in different categories, so I won't ping him uh, on those. But the number one mistake in the first part of the conversation is not letting the lure hit completely to the bottom. So practice that, figure out what that feels like, and have a little bit more success. And then later on in the conversation, and you started asking him about mistakes. I'm like, come on, Gary, get off my stuff, man. Like, get out of here. Uh, but another one is fishing too fast. So if you come up to an area especially in the colder months, like fishing a little too fast. Um, so, yeah, man, that was it. And then uh, get the right gear so you can feel the bite. That was my three takeaways. Three for episode 140. Uh, get, that, get that good gear so you can feel the, feel the twitch on the end. And go check out their podcast, too. I, I'm going to go check it out. I've actually listened to a couple of episodes, or at least half an episode. So <laughs> I'm, I'm waiting to be invited to be a guest before I listen to that podcast. I have high standards. Yeah, man. Let me let me come on there. We can talk about podcasting. Okay, <laughs> it'd be fun. I swear, your audience will love. Billy, it. what's the number one mistake with podcasting? Well, I'm not. Anyway, let's move on. <laughs> um, yes, I will. To bring it back to fishing, I think like letting that, uh, letting the jig head and the soft plastic get all the way to the bottom can be a challenge, just because you're anxious, man. You want to catch a fish and you. 
just won't wait. You won't mm -hmm. wait. And like he says, man, there's a subtlety to it. So being connected with that bottom in cold, slow times with light weights, light jigs, light soft plastics can be the challenge. But, you know, we like a challenge. We like fishing yeah. because we like a challenge. And that's what, I mean, I bet you see that with your kids a lot. They probably get bored, just holding the rod, not catching anything. And all of a sudden they're just slaying fish on the front of the boat. Well, actually, you probably put them on the back. You probably don't even let them on the front. What am I saying? I take, I, I take kids to go float live shrimp, man. I don't take kids to throw soft plastics in December, January, and February. My kids. Now, I know plenty of fishy kids. This is, you know, plenty of fishy kids that'll outfish you, me, everyone, whether it's winter, fall, summer, spring. But those aren't my kids. My kids, we're going to be floating live shrimp and watching the bobber go down. Because they learn how to fish from you, Gary. <laughs> Yeah, Captain, I love let me know fishes, what, Let me know when the rod bends and hand it to me. Until then, I'm going to eat my bologna sandwich and crackers. I'm no elitist. I'll float a live <laughs> shrimp under a bobber. <laughs> oh, man. Well, great episode, Gary. Appreciate it, man. Love Dana. You guys go support Dana. Uh, book him on a trip. Learn all his tips and tricks. So I'm sure he'll give them to you. Just go and take a tape recorder and have your own podcast. Just chop it up into pieces and put it out there. 20 episodes right yeah. there. It's e yeah, whether easy. it's a podcast or the uh, weekly fishing reports, man, he's never really hesitated to share. That's easily one of his, you know, easily one of his strong qualities, man. And yeah, yeah I, I say it at the fishing schools that we do. I say it regular. Like if you're seeking out information, sure, a podcast, sure, weekly fishing reports, you know, whatever it is. But man, there really is no substitute, in my opinion, for getting out on the water with a Dana Tabarini and experiencing it asking it and living it in real time i mean if you're looking to escalate your game you know life is short time on the water is precious give yourself every opportunity exactly and the best opportunity after you go on with dana is to go to marine warehouse buy a boat pull up beside of him what up dude we saw you last week <laughs> hey you took me to this hole last week man hey it's crazy to see you here <laughs> Mind if I slide in? I just want a couple casts, bro. Just right on the right on the point. <laughs> right where the water depth changes, you know? What you told me. <laughs> friends, hey, right? what about this bait? Is this a good one to throw? Can you see from your boat over here? Can I should I throw this one? Yeah, let me just toss it under the deck. Can you tell me? And then toss it toss it back in the water. You got some pro <laughs> if I toss this bait over here, will you put some procure on it for me? I forgot my pliers. You got some over there as well? Hey, actually, I caught one here. Just, I'm going to send it over. You take it off the hook. <laughs> oh, God. All right. I'm going to Marine Warehouse right now to get a boat just to do that. They take re refunds? No, I'm just kidding. All right. Anyway, go support Marine Warehouse, uh, and we'll talk to you guys later. Thanks, Gary. Fisherman.